0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast.
1: You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church.
0: Reading Mark 11, verses 1 through 12, if you'd like to follow. I don't know what page it is in the Bible, uh, in your pew, but you can look it up. (laughs) Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heavens. So Jesus came to Jerusalem, went into the temple, After looking around carefully, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with his two disciples. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry.
1: It's a privilege to be able to come and share the word with you. Um, It's a privilege to know that I'm speaking to people that love the Lord, And if you uh, are in need of Christ, come and talk to any of the people here, and they will will share the love of Jesus Christ. Julio, you get to see him on the 23rd, (laughs) all right? So make sure you get the tickets. Unfortunately, my wife and I will not be there because our kids gave us the ticket to the night before. All right, and so uh, that's the game we're going to. I don't know how to transfer it. I don't know how to sell it. I don't know any of that. It took a while for me to even get it on my phone so that it shows the tickets. So you know how tech-savvy I am. As you have listened, and followed in the scriptures that was just read. What did you sense? What did you see? As you read the scriptures, what is the main topic in this passage? And what you will find is not ever said. It's just displayed. This sermon is about humility. I asked my wife as I was preparing this, and I said, you know, this sermon's about humility. And she says, yeah, good. And I said to her, but I don't have any humility. And she says, I know. <laughs> I said, that's it, we're done. But beginning in verse 2 and ending in verse 12, the very first part, We see that God is fully, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He is God because he knows what's going to take place. He is man because he's hungry. We have a God that identifies with us, that has our best interests at heart. He knows who he is. He is God, he is man. We have a God that knows and identifies with us. How does that make you feel? Oh, man, thank you, Jesus. It's not a lording it over, it's understanding that He identifies with us. In fact, it says in Philippians two, five through seven, it says, He humbled himself and became a bond servant. Not a servant, a bond servant. In the Jewish custom, when a slave was brought in, he was was called a servant. After the seventh year, he could be released and go somewhere else, do something different. But if he decided to stay with his master, he was called a bond servant. A bond servant means he's totally committed, totally committed to you totally committed to what God has sent him to do. He's loyal. So once you receive Jesus Christ, he does not turn his back on you. Too often, I've seen people turn their back on somebody. He doesn't, he doesn't turn his back on you. He humbles himself. Before we go any further, let's look at the back story. We have the rich young ruler, and then we have who is greatest in the kingdom. The rich young ruler. I don't know what he ruled over, but he ruled over something. It was too much to commit. It was too much to give up. There was a pride in his life. A pride that says no. If God were to approach you and tell you, you need to change some things, what would you say to him? You can go screaming and kicking. In fact, there's a story about Martin Luther. He's running away from the Lord, and it's in the rain, and he's running, and lightning strikes in front of him. He falls on his knees, and he says, I give up, Lord. is that the way we, you are and I am? Yes, to a certain extent it is, isn't it? A ruler. And then James and John want the honor and privilege of sitting beside Jesus. We all like to sit in the seat of prominence. But Scripture tells us not to go sit in the seat of prominence because you may be asked to sit back there. It's better that you be called up than to be pushed back there. And James and John wants these seats. It's a pride thing. It says, we're the closest thing to Jesus Christ that you may have ever seen, because physically they were there. And then there's the request last week of Bartimaeus. Notice the contrast. The rich young ruler and the greatest in the kingdom. Bartimaeus says, when Jesus asks, what do you want? Have mercy on me. He doesn't say, I want to see. He doesn't want to say, get me out of this. Have mercy on me. Humility. Humility is what Bartimaeus expresses right there. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm humbled and I want, you know. He doesn't say any of those stuff. Now, all of this is taking place as they travel to Jerusalem with a purpose. They are traveling they are a traveling show, in fact. By the way, we see Jesus in the middle of the procession. And there's people in front, and people I don't know how many people. Sometimes we think that it's a big, big, big deal. I don't know if it's that big. In Luke 9:51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Isaiah 50 says he had his face like flint. He had a purpose, and he was going to fulfill that purpose no matter what. No matter what. As we have entered into Passion Week in the past, Jesus sends two of his disciples to go and get this coat. Which two? Which two do you think he sent? He's nameless. They are not being recognized, except that they're sent. Was it James and John? Just to knock them down a the page? I remember my wife, my mom, always saying to somebody, "Yeah, knock, knock, Robert down a peg. Now you know why I'm so short." But (laughs) who did he send? Why these two? There's no name. There's no reason given except that they're to go. You know. As a people, we would like to be recognized, even just a little bit. Yet, here is no mention. And sometimes we go unrecognized and we say, What about me? What about me? I'm important too. I remember in, uh, when I was playing university football as plain middle linebacker, and I came in, uh, uh, and uh, on one play, I tackled with a couple other guys, we tackled the runner. And so then the coach, at the end, gives the statistics, how many tackles you made, uh, and da 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 I wasn't mentioned of making a tackle. And I was incensed I was part of that tackle. You don't have to give me the full tackle. I was part of that tackle. But I wasn't recognized. We always want to know, what about me? Because we think we're that important. I've learned in life, it's not about me. Did you know that this church is not about you. In a sense, it is because church is about the other. So it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about you. It's about another. Church is for others, for worshiping Jesus Christ and to make him known. There are people that are serving today in the church, and we don't even know who they are. They go unrecognized. They just do their, their stuff. I have a conservative Baptist background. That's a break off from the American Baptist, which the Southern Baptist broke off from as well. Well, I was pastoring in this independent Baptist Church in Dillon, Montana. The only Asian to be pastoring in Montana. (laughs) And my wife said, God had a sense of humor. And how we got to Dillon, Montana, I was living in Houston and we were trying to plant another church. It didn't work. So I just threw out the door opened up and said, Lord, send me someplace. So I called the, the, the uh, people at the conservative Baptist and, and says, does anyone need a preacher? And, and he said, well, we have a, they need a preacher in, in Dillon, Montana. I says, I'm going. And he said, Well, they're actually looking for a pastor. I says, I just want to preach that one Sunday because I never thought about ever being a pastor in Montana. So my wife says, Once we got the call, about six months later, they did a whole thing on me because they asked, because I said no to them. And I gave them a process, and they did the process on me. And then my wife says, God has a sense of humor. He dropped this city slicker into the middle of cowboy country. I was thinking about wearing my cowboy boots. Make me a little taller. So I'm in Dillon, Montana and having a conservative Baptist, even though it was an independent Baptist, uh, uh, when, when they finally gave me a, wanted me to come, I said, you know, Baptists have a history, a history of being just gnarly. A lot of Baptist churches, the reason why in Houston, Texas, they have first Baptist, they have a second Baptist, and they have a third Baptist. How did that all happen? So then I said to them, Independent Baptists are the gnarliest of them all. I figured I wasn't going to get the hall after that. And so, and this was a King James only church. And what did I come with? I came with my new American standard. They wanted a King James guy. They really wanted to be a King James only. Well, that didn't happen. So, to continue on with Dillon Montana, there's this lady who comes in, and she shares with me, you know, she moved into Dillon Montana from California or wherever, and she started to ask some questions. And then she said this one question that I responded to. I didn't answer all any of the other questions. I was just listening. What can you do for me? That was her statement. That was her question. And I said, we can do nothing for you except Jesus Christ. So I'm going to turn the question around now. What can you do for this body? I never saw her again. I can't, I can't, I'm a good Baptist because I can tend to be gnarly. So, so she goes away. And sometimes we just don't get it. We just don't know what Jesus is trying to do, the feeding of the 5,000. People are set into groups. And Jesus says, you serve them. I don't know how long it took to serve out five, to 5,000, but it must have taken a long time. What happened? Well, the disciples are going, well, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. I'm out. Maybe I'm done. I come back, and Jesus says, go some more. I go, here you go. Here you go. And what do we hear at the end of this story? They're in a boat. And it's not going well. They turn to Jesus. Why? Because they had not learned from the loaves and the fishes. Because their heart was hardened. Sometimes we just don't get it. I'm known to be dense. I don't get it. I don't have a clue. Somebody says to me about the latest whatever, I don't know. After the latest and greatest becomes the past, I know about it now. But I didn't have a clue at the very present. These guys didn't realize what Jesus was trying to do in their lives for them to serve and to serve with humility. How they served probably was man, I can't wait to get out of this. Here they're seeing a miracle. And you don't hear, praise the Lord. I had a African, I had a multi-ethnic church here in Seattle that I planted. It was a great church. Sometimes I wish I never left it. But I did, to Houston. And I was invited to a birthday party at a church. And it was a significant birthday party at a different church. and it was an African-American church. Now, I have preached in African-American churches, so I said, okay, I'll go. Well, they put me at the head table, and they would be serving us. And this is what the First Lady did. She raised her glass because she needed it filled She's the first lady. Go and fill that glass. And that's what they did. On another side, as we did this multi ethnic church, some of the black ladies said to my wife, You're the strangest first lady we've ever seen. And she says, Oh, why? Because you're serving. First lady, she was cooking. She was making sure that the luncheon afterward was well prepared. Humility. Again, no names. But they are told what to do. And not only are they told what to do, they are prepared for what they are going to do. Go get the colt. Okay, I can go do that. But if you run into this situation, this is what you say. So not only were they sent, they were prepared for the circumstance that they were going to enter into. If Jesus gives us instructions, he will prepare you. We had a, a family come in, and they wanted to be missionaries to China. And so I met with them, with a bunch of other leaders from the church, and, I, and so we started to ask, what's your background? Who's sending you? How are you getting there? What are you going to be doing there? All those questions. Well. They didn't have a missions organization sending them. They were just going to go on their own. What preparation did they have? Oh, we prayed about it, and this is what we're supposed to do. Even if you pray about it and you know this is what you're supposed to do, you need preparation. When I was a youth pastor, Harry Twining, who has since passed away, told me, Bob, you're called for ministry. Go and get prepared now. Because I hadn't gone to seminary. I was just flying by the seat of my pants. And so I'm going out the door uh, for a youth thing. My, my wife says, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. When I get there, I'll do something. I was flying by the seat of my pants. He'll give you instructions. He'll prepare you. Well, We don't have Jesus sending us, in a sense. We do. But we have the navigator. We have the one who will lead us. We have the game changer and the Holy Spirit. There are times in my life I am a few dry as a bone, though, so and. Aaron mentioned the scripture. And I don't feel like the presence of the Holy Spirit. I just don't. But the Holy Spirit is there the whole time, and then all of a sudden, I'm led to evaluate yourself. No, I don't want to evaluate myself. I don't like what I might see. But there is the guidance. There is the instruction. There is the beginning of a preparation. It took me a long time to get a sermon from this passage. What am I going to preach about? Everybody's heard about the triumphal entry. I mean... It's Palm Sunday. We're building up the Easter. What am I going to preach about That something different? You know, when these special days happen, uh, especially in the uh, church here in, that we planted, whenever there was a special message to be given, I'd give it to my staff. So I didn't have to preach Palm Sunday. I did preach Easter. But I tried to pass off these special days. Because I said, I already gave it. I, they're going to hear the same thing. So the other speakers were bring different things, and I'm glad that they did it. So on this day, this Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem the way he was born. He enters in on a colt, sign of victory, but it's humble. He could have had chariots with horses. In fact, not only with horses, he could have had a chariot that had elephants, Raise the stakes a little bit. He doesn't. He comes in humbly. Even the way he was born was in humble situation. So this crowd, on this day, come out to greet him. On this day, the crowd enthusiastically greets him. They're laying down palm branches. They're laying down clothing. They're laying down as a procession. And then they to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Meaning, God saves. God save us. God save us from what? From our circumstances. This was supposed to be King David's son, in a sense. He was going to be the savior. And the Jewish people would have, whoa, we're free. We, and all this other stuff that goes with that. But then, when Jesus doesn't deliver on that, in a week's time, crucify him. In fact, they choose a thief, Barabbas, to free, but not Jesus. So they wanted to be saved out of their circumstances. And when they don't get what they want, they become a mob it doesn't take long to become a mob it happens here in seattle something happens that these people don't like they start breaking things another group same thing doesn't matter what the group so whether or not we look, would like to admit it, we respond too often than we like to admit we are just like a t- it's time. We respond, we may not have a mob, but I may have a rebel because I don't like it. So Jesus comes in, and he comes in humility. So Aaron said, we're going to go to this Mariner game, and, and who are we going to see? Julio! He is the worth the price of admission. Something good is going to happen, even if he doesn't have a hit. He does something. Julio! The bright and shining star. But have you ever watched him? Have you ever watched how he carried himself? Have you ever watched him in pregame? He does not reject any baseball that's given him to sign. He'll sign it and sign it, and sign it. Oh, he has his moments when he hits that home run, he has that bat flip. But really, it's really a joyous time, not a pump up and see me time. He's humble. He's humble. There's a song by Tim McGraw, My wife and I got the privilege of going to the uh, Something to Something tour (laughs) at Key Arena. And so, uh, oh, Soul to Soul tour. And so the two would come, Faith Hill and, and Tim would come and sing their songs. And then one would leave, and then one would do a whole set of songs. I told my wife in remark, and I says, "How does she do this? She is up there dancing. She hasn't changed her shoes. They are spikes. You know, they are stilettos. And she's up there, amazing. When Tim comes on, he's a whole different thing. But there's this one song, and the." Uh, Faces start to form behind them on a screen. People of all ethnicities, people of all religions, people of all. There was a big diversity. And the song was, and I love this song. As soon as I, I start hearing it on country radio, I make it even louder. Always be humble. And kind. The other part of the verse, don't cheat, don't steal. But the refrain is, always be humble and kind. Why did that have such effect on me? Because I'm not humble. So we are to be humbled in a way. And that's tough. Especially if you're loud like me. Especially when you're outgoing like me. But you don't have to be loud and outgoing. You could be kind of guy that says, you know, I shook Julio's hand. Oh, that's great. How do you say it? When we were in Houston, we were in this my daughter and son in law were in this large church. And the pastor, who was a fairly new pastor, he was throwing up a baseball. And he says, you know what? Billy Wagner singled to me and gave me the baseball and signed it. It's a little bit of pride. Then we find out, the church finds out, that... uh, he, uh, he had, when we attended that first Sunday, he was really, really good. Then we attended another Sunday, he is really, really bad. What's up? Well, the really, really good sermons he stole from like Swindoll and those guys. They had to ask him to leave. Humility is just being who you are, nothing more nothing less. Humility is not to be trounced on. It's just to recognize who you are. Doesn't mean you stay that way, because we're always in a growth. Jesus wants us to grow. Nothing more, nothing less. There is a false humility, and I do it all the time. I'm not going to stand back there, because Andrew doesn't stand back there after he finishes. But I used to, and people were come and greet me. Good message, Pastor. Well, I try. Good message, Pastor, all along the way. Good message. And I'm trying to be humble, but it's a false humility. I know I delivered the goods, but I don't want to show it up, not to be more than yourself. There's a song taken from James 4.10. It says this in James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I didn't get it to Aaron fast enough. So, how many know that little cho- chorus? Well, I got two. I got three. Do I see four? I got four. I got five. I got six. And it goes, you know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Higher and higher, and he will lift you up. It's God's doing to lift us up. But we are to humble ourselves. Laying aside your pride is the first step. How is pride demonstrated? One way, and that's the way I do it, by stubbornness. No, 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 no. Not going to be done. No, 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 no. How stubborn are you? Is God at work in you to change you? When the, i don't know when my wife heard it from me, but it was way into our marriage. Honey, I'm sorry. I don't even know what I did, but I know it took a long time for me to say it. And after the first time, I don't know how many times I've said it. And my wife would probably say, well, stop saying it and do the right thing, you know? Romans 12.3 says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but in humility. Again, humility is not mentioned in this passage. Humility is really recognizing who you are and then to come before the Lord. Are you a bondservant or are you just a servant? One of the greatest examples of humility that I know When I planted this church, I called Dr. Greg Barnett, Dr. Greg Barnett, one of the wisest men I've never known. He is something like 90 years old now. I called him as my executive pastor. I'm the lead pastor. He's the executive. I lead. He follows, sort of. But he would always give wise counsel. I want to do this, Greg. Why? And I tell him. He says, well, that's good. How are you going to do it? I said, I have no idea. That's your job. He's like, make it so, you know, in Star Trek. Number one, make it so. But he would always be saying to me, you know, this is the problem with this idea that you have. And it's going to take a while to figure out how to figure out the problem. So I'd listen to him, and I wouldn't move. I knew he was wise. He was really, really good. In fact, he was a, a neat nick. When we first moved into this church, and they were redoing the offices, we met in the library, and we had cubicles. And the music pastor and I, we would always go by Greg's desk as after he leaves. He's on social security, so we let him leave early. And I look at him, look at it. I open his desk. Are you supposed to open someone else's desk? No. But I open the drawer, and there are the paper clips, all lined so I close the drawer. He's got a really neat desk, very little on it, but it's really neat. I want to mess it up. He's got this library that surrounds him. I said said to the music guy, I said, I wonder if I move this book to another spot, whether or not he would recognize it. And so I said that to him years later, and he says, I would have recognized it. That's how he was. And I would listen to him. He was my pastor. Every pastor needs a pastor. This one happened to be on my staff. He was wiser and smarter He could do things that I just could not do. And this is what he says. So the two disciples are sent. He says, we don't have to do. We get to do. We don't have to do we get to do. And it's from him that I learned humility and how far far short I am of that. May you always be humble and kind. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And as you work in our lives through the power of your spirit, reassure us of your great love. But also show us how to be humble. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you loved us so much you came to earth. Thank you, Lord, you loved us so much that you would save us from our sin because we can't do it our own. And so in humility, we come to you. And may we always be humble and kind.